But we have uh, we have such a gift this morning. Um, Becca Whirl is here to uh, to give us a word this morning, and Becca is a longtime pastor in the Pacific Northwest. She has pastored in uh, several different churches in the area, speaks all over our conference, uh, and today is uh, is going to be speaking here. And so um, she's not on staff, and yet she is already deeply ingrained in this community um, and has a really good word for us as we begin this new series that is so pivotal coming out of this Easter season as we seek to, uh, to be these resurrection people that Christ has called us to be. And so would you welcome Pastor Becca this morning. Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be together this morning on this sunny Sunday. And it is a pleasure and an honor to open the Word of God with you this morning. I just want to also just say thank you to Pastor Austin, if you're watching, for inviting me to preach. And we are just so thankful for Pastor Austin's leadership, um, his giftedness and his enthusiasm, um, and how he challenges us um, and speaks such bold truth into our life. The Pine Lake, we are really blessed, aren't we? Yes. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for that introduction. So yes, we are a little bit new here. We started coming in um, October. And just a little bit about myself uh, before we begin. I was actually born and raised in the Congo, Africa. Anyone else? No? Okay. Weird. Um, to covenant missionary parents. And then eventually came back to the United States um, and finished out school in Bellingham. Any Bellingham? All right. Here we go. And then I went to SPU. Any Falcons in here? Yeah, okay. And then Fuller Seminary. Anybody? Yes! <laughs> uh, my greatest passions in life. What gets my feet on the floor in the morning and out of my blanket nest, as my daughter calls it, is the promise of the holy, steaming black liquid cup of hope and life that will drip out of a machine and into my mouth. Secondly, the New York Times Wordle, right, Rena? That's right. And who did it this morning? I'm not going to say what it is. Was it hard this morning? Oh, no, not for you. Just me. Okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Third, maybe not in this order, maybe partially in this order, the coffee first, but my passion that gets me up in the morning is to see God's people come to saving faith and abundant life in Jesus and discover who they are as God's beloved children. I have very much enjoyed being a part of the Pine Lake youth crew. Let me hear you. Where are you? Where are you, Sasha? (laughs) And I discovered that knowing all the lyrics to Michael W. Smith's Place in This World and DC Talks' What If I Stumble is like not cool anymore. I had no idea. And they don't even know who DC Talk or Michael W. Smith is, but you, some of you do, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, then I had to twa- take like a quick Google course on texting shorthand, because um, one of the first text threads that I received from our girls, um, I had not a single clue what they were saying, so I made this cheat sheet. You can borrow this, take a picture. Now, how many of you know all these? <laughs> how many of you knew? Yeah, Matthew did. How many of you know like, you know, five of them, ten of them? There's some sad, yeah, a couple of them. JK, we know that one. Um, so I was like, what are they saying? So then once I learned all this, I could read this. 
Now, who can read that? <laughs> Matthew can. <laughs> so that says something like, tonight, hit me up, because I have fear of missing out, by the way. <laughs> Laugh out loud. So let me know, of course, or for what it's worth, direct message me. You only live once, right? <laughs> Rolling on floor laughing. I don't know. How was that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Lost in translation much? For real though, friends, the youth are amazing. Our students are amazing. They are beautiful and they are wonderful. They are wild. They are thoughtful. They are imaginative. They are inquisitive people. And they are a gift and we need more leaders. This is not part of the sermon. It doesn't count for time. Being a leader at Pine Lake Youth is such a blessing. It is a missional living like no other. And I don't know if you remember the series Experiencing God from Black and Being King way back when. But this line I will be using a lot today is see what God is doing and join him there. And God is doing great and awesome things in our Pine Lake youth through Pastor Mark as well. And so if you are considering joining God in this, please let Pastor Mark or myself know. Okay, on to the actual sermon. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your presence with us this day. I thank you for your faithfulness, your gentleness, your mercies that are new every day. I pray, God, that your words, that my words would be your words, that I would be small, that you would be big, that you would go forth and you would draw us to your heart this morning. In your name, amen. So this morning we are launching a new series called The Art of Neighboring, and this is an incredible initiative that invites us to come back to the basics of what it means to be a neighbor to our actual neighbors, to know their names, and to move from being strangers to building relationships to extending the lavish love of God to the closest people who live around us. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about loving our neighbor, and I did a brief word search to see how often God teaches on neighboring, and I counted 50 instructions. I didn't just look up the word neighbor because there's lots of stuff about that, but 50 instructions on how to love, care, speak to, provide for, and be hospitable to our neighbors all throughout the Old Testament. And here are just some in the New Testament. Take a glance at these. How to love love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor. Do no harm to your neighbor. And our next slide. And uh, just please your neighbor. And speak truth to your neighbor. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that's just from the New Testament alone. Wow. I would say that God has a lot to say about loving our neighbor. That this is important to the heart of God, right? And it is given to us as a, as, not as a suggestion, but as a command. It's um, repeated in the greatest commandment here is repeated through Jesus' words in Mark 12, Matthew 19, and Luke 10. He says, you shall love the Lord your God, you know this part, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So we know the first part pretty well. There's even like a song that goes with it, right? Let's take a look at the second half. Turn to Luke 10, 25. Just then, a lawyer of religious law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, 
he asks Jesus, and just who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you have. Wow. Then Jesus says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, this text is popular. Have you heard it before? The Good Samaritan, right? And it's it's a deep and it's a multi-layered story. And I would actually love to sit with you all for an hour or two hours that would take to dive into the richness of this text and all that we can learn from it. But today, our focus on neighboring, I want to simply highlight the lawyer's question itself when he says, and just who is my neighbor? Now, maybe I need to get like a red cardigan and tie my shoes, right, while we do this sermon (laughs) on neighboring. Yeah, you caught that a little later. Okay, we're with me. (laughs) But we are told that the religious lawyer who is questioning Jesus wished to vindicate. He wanted to justify himself. And his question reveals this when he says, who is my neighbor? Who, Jesus? He says, like, like with a pad and a pencil ready, just, just give me the list. Give me the list. Give me the grid lines. Give me the map. Who can I check off my list? Who am I supposed to love? Who do I have to love? What boundaries and labels can I place around people? Who is it okay to avoid and still be holy? That is the heart. So he wants to secure eternal life. So he wants to be sure that he's checked off the greatest commandment. And he wants to check people off as objects of righteous activity. People are not objects. He's missing the heart of the greatest commandment altogether. Now, Jesus knew that this man wasn't actually concerned with loving his neighbors. He is concerned with his religious approval ratings. And so that is why Jesus doesn't actually answer his question. Who is my neighbor? with a geographical grid line or redlining a neighborhood, but he replies with his story. And then he asks, who was a neighbor? Because how to be a neighbor is the focus that Jesus brings to this. Jesus uses the example of the Samaritan to show how to be a neighbor. He brings it all back to an identity of self, always a being over doing. Who was a neighbor, he asks. Be the kind of neighbor that loves their neighbor as themselves, like the Samaritan did, generously, lavishly, deeply. Jesus makes the how very clear. 
then he also makes the who very clear in this story as well, without making a map. Everyone is our neighbor who comes across our path, as the Samaritan shows us. The parents on my kids' dance team, the widow in Asia, my busmate, my co-worker, my in-laws, my neighbor is anyone that God puts in my path that he wants me to extend his love to. Yes. But what has maybe happened over time in our Christian circles and ministries and theologies is we have somehow taken this entire passage to mean that we are to be a Samaritan-type neighbor to everyone except our actual neighbors. You're like, ooh, she's getting real. Is everyone our neighbor whom God places in our path? Yes. However, it doesn't lessen the fact that our literal neighbors are still our neighbors. And actually, our literal neighbors are on our path on a daily basis to some extent. Paths to the end of the driveway, to the mailbox, to the recycle bin, to the trash bin. Right? Paths. Have I, have we, somehow become like the lawyer as we take a look at our hearts? wishing to justify ourselves. Look, God, I love all these other neighbors in the whole wide world with generous and sacrificial love. Isn't that enough that I checked these boxes? But if we are not intentional, we end up having metaphorical love for our metaphorical neighbors, and the result is that we don't show love. Let's make sure that we do the one thing Jesus says matters most. Now, the pastor who began this movement that we're launching, this art of neighboring, love your neighbor, he tells how it began. He said he and 24 lead pastors held a gathering with the mayor of their city along with police chiefs and city managers, and they came together to dream about how they can link arms and be the body of Christ in their city. And he asks all of them these two questions. What is your dream for your city? And if you could wave a wand and change anything, what would it be? And the mayor answered, for sure, I want to end homelessness and and help the isolated elderly and no more poverty or no youth in dire need. But if you want to have the biggest impact in our city, you would figure out how to be neighbors. (sighs) You would start a neighboring movement. That's it. Wow. And the pastor who's sharing the story in his sermon, he says that like the breath just left the room. And there was this silence in there. All 24 pastors are ready to launch the thing. We're going to do a flashy program. And the mayor says, if you would just be a neighbor to your neighbors, that would change the whole city. If everyone would be neighbors to their neighbor. Ah, but programs are easier. They are easier because they ask less of us emotionally and mentally and relationally. But relationships, relationships is the crucible on which God forms us into the image of his son. Relationships change lives and they change neighborhoods and they can change cities. So the genius of the great commandment is that it's so simple, yet it is extremely powerful when acted upon. The smartest thing, friends, that we can do in Sammamish, Issaquah, Bellevue, where we live, is to live out Jesus' commandment to love our neighbors, including the literal neighbors. I want to share with you 
a little story, a few stories. Hmm. Excuse me. How God challenged me in this commandment. In 2020, the world changed, right? And as my kids became isolated at home and locked into that dreadful screen, and we were semi-homeschooling, and I was co-pastoring our church through saying goodbye to a lead pastor, losing our place of worship, finding a place to worship, then not gathering, then gathering, then not gathering, then gathering, (laughs) then moving, then preaching to a camera, then the mask, no mask contentions and the racial divides and the political divides and the fear of losing my loved ones. I was tired. Can you relate? I was tired, like completely burnt out, empty. And maybe this is how you feel today. I was burning out and it was all I could do to be loving to the neighbor, like in my own room, my husband, and the kids across the hall. Fatigued and burning out and tired, it was at this time that God began to clearly call me to a deeper engagement with my neighbors. (laughs) Really, God? Now? I am so tired, and you're asking me to care for, for more people? One more person? People are messy. People are in pain. People are hurting. I cannot give any more. But the call was clear because I was teaching a course on evangelism. <laughs> I know, right? And the conviction, it's dangerous being a pastor. I the conviction in my heart was so tremendous. And I had lived in our neighborhood for two years and maybe knew two names. And so the word of God is on me. says, do I wish to tell of and embody the great and lavish, inviting love of God to the whole world except my actual neighbors? I am loving the neighbors in the slums of Myanmar really well, but I don't know my neighbor's name. But I had nothing to give. And that is exactly the lesson that Jesus wanted to show me, is it's not about me. It's not about my strength. It's not about that. I had nothing to give, but friends, Jesus has everything to give. My job is to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit and let Jesus love my neighbors through me, right? So I prayed, okay, God, I cannot love my neighbor as myself very well, but you can. And your power is made perfect in my weakness. And you give power to the weak and strength to the powerless. You do it. If you are calling me to this, then you will equip me for this task. I am watching and waiting to see what you are going to do. Show me where you are at work and I will join you. So that week... This gets a little bonkers, so hold on. That month, there was an abundance of what can only be explained as God incidences, divine appointments. That very week, my dog ended up in my neighbor's yard, and I walked over to get her, and I ran into my neighbor. I made mention that I saw an extra car in her driveway and said, who's there? And she said, my son has come home, and he's hurting in a scary, dire, painful way. Wow, and I learned names, and I ended up asking if I could pray with her. So we stood in the driveway, and we cried about her son, and we prayed. This is a God incident, not a Becca one. Who put that scenario together? Now you can talk to me. Who put it? Okay, good. (laughs) Need more interaction. Okay, God did it. He is at work in the neighborhood. The next day, I'm walking my dog. 
I run into her daughter who's walking their dog. And I simply make mention that I'm generally aware that their family is going through a really hard time. And she opens up a lot and she shares and we talk and I pray for her. Who put that scenario together? Yes, right? He is at work in the neighborhood. That same week, I'm walking my dog. You catching a theme? God loves dogs, y'all. My other neighbor was walking her dog. And we started walking together on some mornings, commiserating over the misery of our poor children. And we would pray, and I shared my faith with her, and she didn't know. And and so then I ended up giving her a Jesus Calling book, and I just recommend that you have a stash of those at home, because they are so great to give. She shared with me how her dad was dying, and that she was learning about God. She flew to go meet with her dad, and she prayed with him right before he died that he would go to heaven. Friends, who put that scenario together? God did. Such precise timing. He's at work in the neighborhood, especially through dogs. So that week, I met my mentor at the park, and she brought her adult daughter who brought her friend, and her friend ended up being my other neighbor. I had no idea. I'm not making this up. So we exchanged numbers. God put that together. Now, the same month, (laughs) I was chatting with my neighbor's daughter, who's like eight, and we discovered that we are really, really big rock nerds. Right, Brad? And we collect rocks on trains, in the rain, on the plains, and in Spain. So I finally, it's one of my favorite movies, My Fair Lady. So I finally had an enthusiastic rock friend, and I gave her the private tour of my rock tumbling machine. You are all welcome to come do that too. And she suggested that we are going to put on a rock show for the whole neighborhood. Yeah. And she wanted to make invitations. And she wanted to go door to door. And drop them off at all the neighbors' houses. I know, right? And learn their names. But it was really cute because on the invitation, she goes, welcome to our rock show, not like a band. (laughs) I'm like, phew, because I'm not going to do that. So we gathered our rocks and our tumblers and our books on rocks and our shells. And we put hot cocoa on. And the whole neighborhood came. Who put that together? God did. God is at work in your neighborhood. And you know what, friends? It just kept happening. Dog things, rock things, walking things, garden things, natural points of intersection like, hey, let's collectively pick up after the bears that put our trash in each other's yards. Then you get to see what the other people eat and drink. They're like, oh. Oh. Of course there's effort. Of course there's effort. But it felt effortless. Because God's burden is light. So honestly, friends, I struggle with making relationships in my neighborhood because I know that these are going to be ones of longevity. It's a commitment for like an indefinite amount of time. My neighbors used to be that guy with the truck, the new couple who walks outside without a dog, really weird. (laughs) The trailer in the driveway, folks. And other labels I would put on people because I didn't know their names because I never asked And maybe they labeled me as like the weird lady who does her sinus neti pot cleansing in the kitchen window sink. Really gross. (laughs) Crazy barefoot dog lady. Or the one who backs her car into the recycle bin like once a week. (laughs) Sorry, Rob. (laughs) But then we learned each other's names and details about our life because names and details matter and faces matter and more than just the top half. Thanks, Tim Allen and Wilson for that, right? God is always 
at work. He is a good neighbor. He is already pouring his love out in your neighborhoods. And our invitation, friends, is to pray, God, give me the eyes to see what you are doing and a willing heart to participate. God is at work through dogs and pets and gardens and weeds and trash bins and newspapers and rocks and mailboxes and bus stops and Costco hot dogs that you could make extra space for. Uh, When you run out of flour or an egg, we can join God. God is doing it. Now you're thinking, well, Becca's extroverted, so this is super easy for her. First of all, how do you know that? (laughs) But you're totally right. (laughs) But I want to tell you, though, that before this time where God put this on my heart, when I would walk Kaylee, my dog, if I saw someone I knew on our trajectory, I would turn around or go slower because I just couldn't talk to one more person. I had nothing to give. And so maybe you're like me, you're hearing this initiative and you're like, I am tired. (laughs) Maybe you avoid people. I avoid loving people. I avoid the missional living God calls me to when I am under the deception that it is my mission and my strength and my initiative and my power. This whole experience, friends, didn't burn me out. It filled me up and the cup just keeps overflowing. Richard Viotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, tells us loving our neighbor is fundamentally about becoming a particular person and offering that to the world. It's more about being and less about doing. This kind of mission is not just activity for activity's sake, not something we have to do and check a box, but it's who we are invited to be, who we are invited to become, being Christ for one another. And that comes back to the heart of Jesus' question, who was a neighbor, how to be Christ in our neighborhood. So in these next few weeks, as we walk through this series, the invitation is really not what we're doing, but how can we be Christ in our neighborhoods? And maybe you feel like I did. You feel, I am so tired How can I possibly be sent out? Well, here's how. This is the best part. John 20, 21. This is a different great commission that we maybe not hear as often. Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, As the Father sent me, so I send you. Say this with me. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah! Friends, Jesus sends us, but not without the indwelling of his spirit. Jesus sends us, but not without power. Jesus sends us, but not without his presence. Jesus sends us, but he's already going before us and behind us. He is at work. God never sent his people out alone. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will go before you. I will be with you. I will never leave or forsake you. Behold, I am with you to the ends of the earth. I will give you an advocate, and he will be with you forever. When the Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive my power. I am sending you, so receive my Spirit. Simply put, friends, we cannot give what we have not received. We can't give what we don't already possess. 
How can we love like Christ? How can, how can we be Christ in the world without the indwelling Christ in us? How? If we go out to fulfill the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves and we haven't received the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we will burn out in a state of obligation and we will treat people as religious objects. And we will seek to justify ourselves like the lawyer, right? Instead of the invitation to joyfully participate in God's redemptive action at work. When we receive and surrender our life to the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit then gives us his heart and his eyes. And then, then we can care for our neighbors with his strength. Then we can provide for our neighbor with his resources, which is unlimited. Then we can see our neighbors through his eyes, which is unbiased and unprejudiced and impartial. We can love our neighbors with his love. And yes, your Democrat neighbor, yes, your Republican neighbor, yes, your immigrant neighbor, the loud neighbor, the neti pot neighbor, the rich neighbor, the poor neighbor, the Black Lives Matter neighbor, the Blue Lives Matter neighbor, the rainbow flag neighbor. Because is God calling us to those who only mirror our own belief systems? No. No. We are called friends to an identity toward being Jesus to the world, to love as he loved. And that means without labels and without exception to all people, including our literal neighbors. But we can only do this by the power of his spirit in us. So we are handing out these magnets today in the back. These are tools for you to take home. It may help you. A way to keep this on our mind. It's a block map. And the goal is to learn the names and build relationships with your eight closest neighbors. To move from stranger to relationship. So we can take this home and we can use it as a helpful tool and a reminder. The greatest commandment starts with the vertical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Then we can give what we have received. The love of God, a relationship with God. So friends, three things to call us back to today. First, come back to the heart of God. Love him. Be loved by him. Receive the Lord's love for you and your identity as his and his strength, his power, and the presence of his spirit. Maybe you are so tired and you're so burnt out. This very moment, I invite you to be filled afresh with the spirit of Jesus this morning. Don't leave if this is you and you want to pray with me. I'll hang out in the corner and Pastor Mark, we will pray with you. Receive the power and presence and filling of the spirit in your life. Then we can give what we've received, love. Let us follow the greatest commandment, friends. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves, including our actual neighbor. Let's take practical steps to doing this. Three, remember that God is always and already at work. That's his job. We just get to join him. So let's pray, Pine Lake. Let's pray that God would give us eyes to see what he is doing, where he is active, and join him there with a willing heart. Right?
Four, to really be able to fulfill your missional calling, get a dog. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, oh God, oh God. Please, Father God, give us a desire to be in relationship with our literal neighbors. Breathe your Holy Spirit into our life afresh this day. Equip us as you are sending us. Pour your love into us so that in the overflow, it just pours out. You are at work actively engaging and loving the world. Give us, God, all of Pine Lake. Give us eyes to see and a heart willing to participate. You are doing great things in so many neighborhoods. To you be the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever. Amen.